your Bibles, take them and turn to the epistle of Paul to the Romans, Romans chapter 1. And in your program this morning, you'll find a handout with some fill-in-the-blanks. And it's important in this complex passage that you follow along, and I'll give you the words to speak. If you don't have a bulletin, put up your hand, and Jim Westbrook will give you a sermon outline so that you can fill in the blanks and follow along with me. Our text today is from Romans 1, verses 14 through 17. Paul writes, I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, The righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So far, the reading of God's Word. Paul is enthusiastic to share the gospel with anyone and everyone he meets. I love to share the gospel, sometimes. Paul is enthusiastic to share the gospel all the time with everyone and everyone, anyone he meets. I hope you are, too. But I said sometimes, because I'll tell you what happens. What happens is that we are like leaky buckets, buckets filled with the enthusiasm of Christ and the gospel, but there are holes punched in those buckets and it leaks out. And so God has given us passages like this in the Bible to stir us up again, to fill the bucket back up and to remind us that we are to share the gospel, not just with people like us, but with people that God brings by divine appointment across our path. I love this passage. Just yesterday, I had an opportunity to share the gospel with a man down on Audrey Avenue in Oyster Bay, and we struck up a conversation, and he said, essentially, so what is it that you believe? Now, when I answer a question like that, I like to use a little tool that's succinct and summarized so I don't run down all kinds of rabbit trails. This guy was... This guy had all kinds of crazy ideas. It was hard to keep him on track in conversation. And so sometimes I use something like this tract that we put in your program this morning. I wrote this little booklet, and people have found it very helpful in succinctly sharing what we believe. But I didn't have one with me. No problem, because in my iPhone, I have an app called Two Ways to Live. And Bill Melcher taught a whole Sunday school class on this. And it's a wonderful six-point statement that takes a person who knows nothing about what the Bible says and leads you through to redemption in Jesus Christ. It's a very helpful tool. And so I pulled it out. And I said to the fellow, well, do you mind if I just summarize what we believe? And went right through it. So God's given us opportunities to share the gospel. But how do we handle it? Well, there's a lot to learn. And just at the very beginning of this passage, point number one, 
is that there are four words that come out of this text in, in, to me this week in, that shape how we handle the gospel. And the first thing we must understand is that we are obligated. That's the first fill in the blank. We are obligated because Paul says, I am under obligation both to Greeks and barbarians, and he goes on. What's he getting at here? You know, if your father didn't say it, your grandfather probably did. If somebody did a nice deed for your grandfather, there's an old-fashioned thing they used to say. They would say things like, thank you, I'm very much obliged. Right, have you ever heard that? Very much obliged. That's sort of a Jimmy Stewart, John Wayne, thank you, ma'am. I'm very much obliged, right? But what is he saying? He's saying, I have a sense that kindness and goodness has been given to me, and now I have a sense of obligation. It is my duty. I, it's unthinkable to me that I wouldn't share the gospel with others. And um, it runs very deep in him, not just because of... Uh, of his obligation to Greeks and to barbarians, but because Jesus Christ has told him and told us that we must obey him in what the church has come to call the Great Commission. Do you know where that is in the New Testament? Have you ever heard of the Great Commission? That's in Matthew 28. As Jesus stands on the mountain where they worshiped him after his resurrection, and it says, Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. He says, go. So we are under obligation because our master has called us to go. But then the second word, Paul says, we are unashamed, unashamed. Write it in there. Ashamed of Jesus? I know most of you in this room fairly well. And I'm sure you would say, I'm not ashamed of Jesus. I don't mind getting up early on a Sunday morning, gathering in, a, in the church building and praising His name. And look in the back of my car, I even have a, a bumper sticker with, with a fish on it. I'm not ashamed of Jesus. And yet Jesus knows that deep in our hearts there is a surreptitious sabotage of our witness for Him. And he says in Mark chapter 8, verse 38, listen carefully, for whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father and with the holy angels. Now I know the people in this room, and I know you have courage for Christ, and there are people here who would take the sword for Jesus. You would lay down your life for him, but I ask you today, are you willing to take the raised eyebrow for Jesus? Your son, your daughter-in-law, your colleague at work, your neighbor, and they discover that you are one of those wild-eyed, crazy, fanatical Jesus freaks. 
which you are not, but which the world is so quick to pin on you. Because you're afraid and want to protect your, your reputation, you become ashamed of speaking up for Jesus. And Paul says, wait, no, that's unthinkable that I would be ashamed of my Savior and of His gospel. The third word that jumps off the page at me is he says we are eager to preach the gospel. Do you see that in verse 15? He says, I am eager to preach the gospel. Just like when you find a good restaurant and you can't wait to tell your friends about it. You know, some of you, some of you know I like good food and some of you have a ministry to me. You're sending me uh, links to restaurants. Do you know about that restaurant in Carl Place, Pastor John? That's so delicious. That restaurant over in Locust Valley. And, and maybe you find a good deal at the thrift store. Go down to our thrift store and you find a good deal and you can't wait to tell your neighbors and family members about that treasure that you just got there. You see, there is just an eagerness to share. And I hope you look for opportunities to invite people to church or to open up the app on your iPhone, Two Ways to Live, and say, let me just share with you a couple of thoughts about what I believe from the Bible. But then a fourth word that I gather out of verse 16 and again in verse 17 is that we are unprejudiced. And I love this about this passage because Paul is saying here, that he is willing to share his faith with anybody and everybody. For, verse 16, for salvation is to everyone who believes, to every kind of people. And there is that list, that beautiful, comprehensive list. You know, you, you want inclus an inclusive community? Nobody is more inclusive than Christians, Christians who are true to their faith. Last week... I was sort of busting on Bill Melcher. Remember that? I, you know, Paul speaks about the gospel goes to the Greeks. Those are the sophisticated people. And to the barbarians. The, the Greeks, those are the New Yorkers. The barbarians are the Nebraskans, I said to Bill. And would you know that this week on Jeopardy, a three-time champion was this lovely lady from Lincoln, Nebraska, who demolished her opposition, and they were from New York. So apparently the wise and the sophisticated come from Nebraska, along the other barbarians there in Nebraska. But there is this, there is this beautiful welcome, Greek and barbarian, wise and educated, uneducated, to the Jew first, but also to the Gentile. And let me ask you, can black people get along with white people? Can Asian people get along with Hispanic people? What do you think? Can women get along with men and children with the next generation? Is it possible? And Paul says, come one, come all, and hear of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you know Jews? Do you know Jewish people? They need to hear of their Messiah who has come to fulfill every prophet and every priest and every king. Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of them all. He is their Messiah. 
do you know any Gentiles? Gentiles, pagans. They need to know that Israel's Messiah has come. And he's laid down his life for the salvation of his people around the world. Come and hear. But John, how can a black person and a white person and an Asian person and a Hispanic person, how can they get along? And we are told in Ephesians 2, 14, For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Is this not the most beautiful thing? You know, there's two ways to live app. It's in English, but it's in Spanish, and it's in French, and it's in Japanese, and it's in Chinese. Get it on your iPhone. But now, as the passage goes on, and this is point two, uh, the passage begins to crescendo. And he starts to speak about the power of God that is going to pulse through the church. It's like a wire that is alive. And the question before us is, are we live wires or are we dead wires? I have a friend, Alan Smith. He's an, an electrician. And he says the first thing every electrician needs to know is whether the wire is alive or dead. Is the power moving through it or is the power shut off? to it. Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God. And get this, this is an important nuance. Paul is not talking about the fact that God is powerful. Of course God is powerful, but that's not what he's getting at here. He's actually saying the gospel in its delivery is the power of God. You know, isn't there a verse in the book of Hebrews that says the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, you see. And so Paul is telling us that if we deliver the gospel, there is power, not in us, just power in the very words of the gospel that we are faithful to give away. Why is it powerful? I'll tell you why. It's because of the one of whom it speaks who is so powerful. And all week I've been just reveling in the book of Revelation, chapter 1, verses 4 through 6, that explain who Jesus Christ is. Do you know this passage? John writes, and he gets it from Jesus, essentially the Holy Spirit, grace to you, look at it in your outline, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings on earth, to him who loves us and did what? And freed us from our sins by his blood, and made us to be a kingdom and priest to serve our God. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. What a picture of the powerful Christ. And it is His gospel, and this is His word that we give. The gospel is power. Are you a live wire that carries the gospel forward? I love to share the gospel, but there are times, okay, I'm ashamed to admit it, there are times when I'm, <coughs> I'm with somebody 
and we've spiraled the conversation into spiritual things. And I've said, well, if you don't mind, could we take a minute and could I just run through with you an outline of what we believe? We sit down together. I'm reading it out loud. And we get to that part where it says, yeah, just like um, everyone has a bad record, a bad heart, and a bad master, but Jesus Christ gives us his perfect record and a new heart and becomes our good master. I'm reading it. I see this guy fidgeting over there. He's looking at his watch. And I think in my brain, he's not going for this at all. But I keep reading. And then we get to the end, and I say, you know, there's a prayer here. Let me read it. And I read the prayer, and I say, does this prayer express the desire of your heart? And he looks at me, and he says, yes. And I know that it's not me. And you discover it's not you. It is the Word of God. It is the gospel of God that is the power to salvation. Just the very Word itself changes and melts the hardest heart. It melts the coldest heart and warms the coldest heart. So give it away. Now, there are inhibitors. Now, if you're an electrician, you know that there are things that inhibit the power flow, right? We have on the walls, we have dimmer switches on these uh, valances on the walls. We have dimmer switches. What's that? It's a, a rheostat. You push it down and it inhibits the power. What is it that inhibits the power of the gospel? I'll tell you, it's, we already talked about it. It's being ashamed. When you are ashamed of Jesus, you won't talk about Jesus. And it's a power inhibitor. There's power, then there's power inhibitors. You get ashamed of Jesus. And only the sweet knowledge of who he is frees you up from the fear of man. And then, perhaps some of you remember a few years ago, we had in this pulpit a gentleman from Burma named Ang Lai Matu. And Ang Lai uh, was converted in the jungles of Burma. And now he's a Presbyterian pastor in Georgia. Go figure, I'm not sure. But, but he talks about how he, and, and he's ministering to a Burmese congregation there, but he said to us, quoting from Romans 1.17, he says, Christians forget that they have been freed because they are so tied into this world, they forget that there is a spiritual, unseen world around them. Has that ever happened to you? That happens to me. And he said, uh, you know, I have a friend that lives on an island in a big river in Myanmar, in, 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 in Burma. And, and he said, this guy, he's, he likes to drink, and he likes to party. And one day, he decided he wanted to go to the mainland, off the island. So he has a couple of drinks, and runs, jumps in his canoe, and starts to paddle, 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 and paddle, 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 until he's exhausted, and he lays down in his canoe, and he goes to sleep. And then he wakes up, and he's still in the same place. Why? Ang Lai said, because the rope on the canoe is still tied to the tree on the island. 
And he said, you Americans are so tied down to this world. It's all you can see. And you can't even, you can't even tell that you're still tied to the world. And you, you forget the great spiritual realities are there. But Jesus Christ has freed you with power by his blood. Can you see it? And then you tell the story of Christ unashamed and willingly. And it's no longer an inhibitor. Jesus warned us. He knows. He says the spirit is willing, but what? The flesh is weak. And so he says, watch and pray. Examine yourself. Maybe there are power inhibitors that keep you from delivering the powerful word of God. And that's just point two. Be confident when you share the gospel, because not because you are so powerful, but because the gospel you present is so powerful. And then it rises up to a crescendo in verse 17. This is point three. Verse 17 becomes the outline for the rest of the book of Romans. And we will see in the next few chapters as he unpacks this. And he says, for in it, it is the gospel. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. And my friend Jack Miller, he says, these are the three R's of the gospel. Now, again, that might be our father's generation or our grandfather's generation. Uh, my dad, who was always very big on education, education is very important. And even as an elementary student, he would say, you've got to learn the three R's. Does anybody know what the three R's of education are? Reading, writing, and arithmetic. And it always puzzled me. Because two of the three words didn't start with R. Those are the three R's. You see, those are the basics. And what Jack Miller here, he says there are three R's of the gospel. And I want you to write them down. The first one is the righteousness. It is righteousness. What does it mean that the righteousness of God has been revealed? You know, righteousness is actually a a complex biblical term. And in the Greek roots and then the Hebrew roots behind it, you have three very sweet uh, parts that come together. It's sometimes used to speak of integrity. Righteousness means integrity. It means whole, complete. And so God has integrity. God is true, and He is true to Himself. When you speak of his righteousness, remember this. God is true to himself, consistent with his character. He is righteous. The second way it's used is it means straight. It means straight. We talk of a man, he's a straight arrow, right? And it means he knows where he's going. He, he has his destination. And he goes straight to his destination. He's straight, not crooked, not meandering, not fickle, not off task. And in God's righteousness, you have his integrity, you have straightness, and then you have moral perfection. That's the third element of righteousness, moral perfection. And I think that summarizes the God of whom we worship so well. Moral perfection with integrity and straight shooting. So, righteousness is the first thing that is revealed. But the second R is it is revealed, revealed, write that down. 
And when this God, in His moral purity, is revealed to you, your first response, your first reaction in your heart of hearts is to worship. It is to admire. It is to acknowledge that He is God. There is no other response when He is seen clearly. And your heart rises in praise and adoration to Him, at least for a millisecond. But when the righteousness of God is revealed to me, what else is revealed? What else is revealed is my unrighteousness. You see, I am made in the image of God. And I know that His moral perfection requires of me... uh, the fulfillment of his righteousness. You know, Jesus explained it. He said, you are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength, all the time, and your neighbor as yourself, gladly, willingly, not grudgingly, lovingly. And if you do that, you are righteous. And so when the righteousness of God is revealed, it does reveal my unrighteousness. And though in my heart of hearts I am compelled to adore and worship Him, I recoil, and you recoil. And you can explain a lot about my behavior if you understand this. Let me tell you, every time I boast... Every time I tell you about my accomplishments, what's going on? There is some compulsion inside of me that needs to prove myself to you that I'm righteous. Every time I make an excuse for my sin, what's going on? Somehow I have to persuade you I'm not at fault. I'm not as unrighteous as you think I am. Am I? I'm not. And I shift the blame. It's actually her fault. It's his fault. You don't understand. Every time that happens, I'm having to uh, this compulsion to somehow show up in my righteousness. Every time I, uh, um, every time I gossip about someone else, what am I doing? I'm putting them down in order to lift myself up so that you would see me as righteous because I'm better than that person. And, and all these games, they, what are these? These are like Adam and Eve clothing themselves in fig leaves. That's all it is, fig leaves. And I have them, and you have them too. When the righteousness of God is revealed, He is to be worshipped, and we know it, but we recoil from Him. And we suppress that truth until we hear of the third way that the righteousness of God is revealed. And it is revealed in the righteous one, Jesus Christ. And not only is he righteous, but God does something amazing. He brings the righteousness of Jesus Christ to bear on a sinner like me and a sinner like you. And his righteousness comes to us and he clothes us in his righteousness. A righteousness from the outside. An external righteousness. The righteousness of Jesus credited to my account. And when I understand this, then the 
then I'm alive again in Christ. And you have, how, how does it happen? How does it happen? The third R, write it down. It's receive. I receive it because it's by faith. Righteousness revealed, received. Because Paul now says it is by faith in Jesus Christ. Jeremiah 23, verse 6. Do you know this verse? It says, In his days Judah will be saved, and Israel will dwell, dwell securely, and this is the name by which he will be called, The Lord is our righteousness. That's it. Judah, why will you be saved? Because you are so righteous? No, Judah in that day will say, who is Judah? Judah is the covenant people of God. What will you say? The Lord is our righteousness. 1 Corinthians 1, listen carefully. It's there in your program. Verse 30, and because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God. What's the next word? Righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, oh, I am allowed to boast. Let me tell you how great I am, right? Is that what he says, the one who boasts? Let John Yenchko commend himself for all his endeavors that you may admire. Don't you feel soiled just hearing that? Let him who boasts boast in the Lord, in Jesus Christ, the Savior of our souls. Oh, my friends, we receive him by faith. He quotes from Habakkuk 2.4, and it's a very interesting passage where a contrast right in that verse, it says, Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by faith. says, for it is from faith, for faith, or to faith. There's actually no preposition, so we're not sure whether it's for or to. And people debate about what it means, uh, this from faith to faith. It, maybe it just means like from one person to another, right? Yesterday, I spoke to the guy down on Audrey Avenue, and, and when we got to the end of the two ways to live, there's two choices, one is standing under the kingship of Jesus Christ. And which one is you? And to my surprise, he pointed to the man under Jesus. said, that's the one I want. By faith. The righteous will live by faith. Do you believe this today? Friends, Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Faith, for whoever would draw near to God, Hebrews eleven six, must believe that he exists. Paul says that I may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through, what's the next word? That which comes through faith in Christ Jesus the righteousness from God that depends on faith. And when you have it, you receive, receive. Oh, friends, the ministry of the North Shore Community Church tells you 
that you are accepted because of the righteousness of Jesus Christ given to you. Has your family turned on you? Has your family abandoned you? Do your kids sometimes show scorn to you? Do your parents still criticize you? (laughs) Still! Do the people at work gossip about you? Do the other kids in your class make fun of you? It doesn't matter anymore. For you are accepted by the Father through Jesus Christ. All your performance no longer is what you need to survive. You have his love. You are forgiven. You say, but you don't know my sins, all that I've done wrong. And he says, oh, yes, I do. But when I look at you, as I stand in God's presence and he looks at me, I hear him say, where have I seen that righteousness before? Come near. I recognize it now. That is my son's righteousness you are wearing. Enter. Welcome. You are safe here. Oh, my friends, we are obligated. We are unashamed. We are eager. We are unprejudiced as we deliver the gospel. Why? Because it is the power of God to salvation. And when we know His power, we are not inhibited, but we move forward to declare the righteousness of God has been revealed to the world as it's been revealed to us. And we have received, and we invite you, Jew or Greek, Barbarian. The word actually then says Scythian. Who were the Scythians? The Scythians were the Slovaks. They were the, 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 the barbarian Slavic hordes in the north from which the name Yenchko comes. Doesn't matter. Come. Come and receive Jesus. I'll just end with this. Maybe the greatest missionary movement ever, except for the book of Acts, came in the 1700s out of the German village of Hernhut, where Count von Zinzendorf was discipling young men with a vision to reach the world for Christ. And interestingly, a young black man from the West Indies came and was converted among all these, these white German people, an educated man, And he told them about his sister, who was a slave in St. Thomas in the West Indies. And he said, I wish someone would go and tell my sister of the Savior. And among them were two 20-year-old guys in their early 20s, Johann Dober and David Nitschmann. And their hearts were gripped by this man's love for his sister, that she would hear the gospel. And they resolved together that they would go, but they were told that the owner of the plantation where his sister was a slave was an atheist. He despised anything to do with Christ and Christianity. He would never welcome a preacher onto his island. And they said, then we will go 
as slaves. And they offered to sell themselves into slavery that they could go and live among the slaves of the West Indies in the 1730s. They had parents and they had friends who tried to stop them and they went to the judge and actually the judge stopped them and said, this is, it's just not possible for you to do this. And they said, we'll go anyway. But he won't let you in. And he said, yes, he will, for I am a carpenter. And you need carpenters on every plantation. And we will go and I will ply my trade among them. And they found passage and they went. And for 50 years, Moravian missionaries followed them into the West Indies. And it is said 13,000 people, slaves and free, were baptized over the next 50 years. I am not asking you to sell yourself into slavery. Although the Bible does say you are a bond servant of Jesus Christ. But I am asking you, to whom will you go? Let's pray. Let us pray. Oh, our Father, we thank you for your, and praise you for your righteousness, your perfection, your beauty, your integrity, that you are straight and not crooked or fickle. We worship you. And though you have convicted us of our need of a Savior, today we receive him. And maybe some of us for the first time have said, wow, this makes sense. This is clear. And I receive you, Lord Jesus, the righteous one. I receive you. Have you done that? Is there anyone here who has not received Jesus? The Bible says to all who receive him, who believe in his name, he gives the right to become children of God. If you've done that today, you are his, completely accepted, forgiven, and then given a new life. And we celebrate that with you. But for the rest of us, we too rest in you. We receive and rest in your righteousness today, Lord Jesus Christ, not looking to ourselves or to our performance of the law, but to receive the righteousness that comes by faith. Our Father, right now we can each one think of somebody we know who would be blessed to hear the good news. And we pray that there would not be any power inhibitor in us we just pray that we would embrace the opportunity to speak, to invite, to encourage and share your love with them. And we look forward to seeing how you answer this prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand for our closing song.